Happy Wednesday night, everyone. I hope you're doing well. Tonight we're going to talk about awakening the mind. We're going to talk about consciously choosing our thoughts and our choices. I think a good place to start is discussing how much we already consciously choose. And so, uh, you know me, I love doing a little bit of research now and then on the internet. And so I thought I would see if there were some actual studies from brain scientists on how much of our thinking is conscious versus unconscious. So are you ready? Uh, I wish I had better news, actually. <laughs> well, as, assuming that you're in favor of conscious thinking anyway, I wish I had better news. Uh, so uh, Michael Gazzania estimates, he, he's a neuroscientist, estimates that as much as 98% or more of all of our brain activity is completely unconscious. <laughs> I know, I know, but wait, it'll get better, I do promise. Uh, he says this unconscious activity includes things like keeping your heart beating, digesting your food, processing sensory input, controlling and coordinating. So see, there's like, there's like a, you know, there's a subtext here that's actually good. I mean, can you imagine if we had to consciously remember to keep breathing? I would have fallen over by now, right? Because I'm busy thinking of you and would have forgot to breathe and I'd be like on the floor by now. So it's actually not a bad thing. Because if we had to consciously control all of those things, I mean, what if I forgot to digest my food one night? This could be a serious problem. Okay, so a lot of our brain, a lot of that 98% is actually taken over doing things that you would want perhaps to be unconscious. Now, now maybe it would be useful if it was a little more conscious, right? Maybe it would be useful if I was really aware more of when my stomach was getting fuller, right? So I wouldn't overeat or maybe it would actually be useful even if my breathing so that I was more aware if I, if I was kind of hyperventilating when I get excited or things like that. But, but but anyway, the good news is, is that most of that unconscious activity, you're probably really glad it's unconscious. Because if we had to really think hard about it to do all those tasks, I mean, we wouldn't even be able to... I mean, picture yourself walking if it had to be conscious. It would be, now I'm lifting the knee, and now I'm keeping my balance, and now I'm putting one foot, oh, now it's going down, and now I'm shifting my weight to the other foot, and, right? Do you remember, do have any of you had children that actually went through that, right? Right, there was a time actually in all of our lives when walking was kind of like that. And, and then what happened? That shift a little more into the unconscious realm, so that now we can just tootle around and not even really think about it so much. Okay, let's take a, another brain, a brain scientist here, uh, Dr. Uh, Bruce Lipton. Dr. Lipton explains there are two separate minds that create what he calls the body's controlling voice. There is a conscious mind that can think freely and create new ideas, and then there is the subconscious mind that is basically a supercomputer loaded with a database of programmed behaviors. And most of those behaviors, he says, we acquired by the age of six years old. So most of our unconscious behaviors programmed into us by age four, five, and six. The subconscious mind does move outside its fixed programs. It automatically reacts to situations with previously stored responses. 
I'm going to read this one again. It automatically reacts to situations with its previously stored behavior response patterns. And here's the rub. It works without the knowledge or control of the conscious mind. This is why we are generally unaware of our behavior. In fact, most of the time, we're not even aware that we're not aware. <laughs> I guess that goes without saying. I don't know why you put that in here. Uh, and, and, and he goes on, it says, and it seems probable that the unconscious mind is running us on automatic pilot mode 95 per So here it's 95 instead of 8, but, but still we have that kind of bad news factor, I guess, um, that really only maybe 5, uh, maybe 6%, maybe 7%, I don't know, somewhere in there of, uh, of our thinking is actually at a conscious level. Okay. So, what do we want to do about this? Now, now I don't want to, of course, raise my consciousness level up to where I am having to think about digesting my food and things like that. I mean, that would be crazy. I mean, it's a good thing, I think, that all of those things are taken care of for us. But I want to portray a couple things that do disturb me a little bit. The brain science would tend to say that even the things that we think of as conscious choices, like, like I, you know, I look kind of nice tonight, I thought. Uh, the clothes actually came from the dry cleaner, I'm happy to report. But you know what? I hardly remember getting dressed. Now, you would think getting dressed to come and meet some nice people would be a conscious thing, like, like what suit am I going to wear? What shirt am I going to wear? Are my socks going to match? Let me, let me, yeah, they do. Right? And, and like, well, the black shoes with the, you know, I'm totally put together tonight. Right? I gave it zero thought. Even the things that we tend to think require conscious behavior, right? Not so much. Now, my thought is, and where I'm headed with this whole talk is, I want to make sure that when it counts, we're consciously thinking. I'm going to leave over the digestion of my food and my breathing to the unconscious. And I will say, you know, as long as I'm coming fairly well put together, even if I'm not on a conscious level picking my clothes out when I go out in the world, as long as the, as long as the effects are okay, I'll even leave a certain amount of that up. But, but what about choosing our friends? What about finding a good church to go to? What about life choices like what job to take or, or who I should date? You see, the trouble is those things too, unless we actually work at it, are chosen for us subconsciously based on the experiences we had when we were four and five and six years old. And I got to tell you, this leads to some of the most spectacular fails in my life. <laughs> does, does it true? Is it true for you? I got to tell you, the first two long-term relationships I was in, almost identical to the relationship that my parents had. And, and although they were sweet people, and I, I certainly don't regret being their child, it was like, yikes. That was not the best pattern for me to follow, but because that was what I witnessed as a couple when I was growing up in that four, five, six age range, 
without a lot of conscious thought, that's right where I sail right into it. I start looking for, well, because I'm gay, I start looking for men that were like my father that wasn't that good of a catch. You know, I mean, I mean, some of, us, some of us have better patterning going. In that particular case, not so much for me. And I would say another uh, good fail for me, although, you know, our lives are what they are. I mean, I'm happy with my life. And, and, and in some ways, I certainly don't dwell on anything that could have been improved upon because look, here I am, and I am dressed pretty nice tonight. And, I, and I'm among a lot of good people. And so, so really everything that got me to be here, I bless and, and I'm fine with it. But, but oh my gosh, did I really have to spend 10 years of my life drinking heavily? right? You know, probably not. I'd probably still be a nice guy up here and still dress pretty good and still among friends, right? There were some choices that I made from patterning again, in this case my grandfather who was drunk most of his life, that four, five, and six age group, some of the issues that he had were some of the issues that I had, and that was a great model for how to, exp well, not a great model, but it was the model that was in there, right? Okay, so you get where I'm going with this. How do we get, begin making better choices? Well, first of all, we have to be aware. We have to be aware, and now you are aware, that such a large degree of our thinking is based on our lives as they were when we were four, well, even younger than that. As soon as, we're, as soon as the tape recorder turns on, which is basically when we're born, some people would argue even before we're born, the tape recorder is on. So we have to recognize and raise our consciousness to a bit of a higher level so that we don't immediately fall into some of those patterns that were created at a really early age. We can do this in a couple ways, I think. And in fact, I, I'm, I'm going to go over at least a couple of them with you tonight. One of them is we can notice our unconscious behaviors and thought patterns when they still keep producing poor results for us. So we can look backwards from the poor result. So if you're dating someone now that seems a lot like your last two husbands, <laughs> right? <laughs> this would be a good clue. If you're interviewing for a job that has a lot of the same problems with it, with the last two jobs that you either quit or got fired from, right? It's like, so there is that built-in mechanism of our lives that when we notice a pattern, the pattern itself is saying, hey, I was on automatic pilot. So the question is, are you still, right? Should you make a different choice? Should you not just automatically sign up for that same kind of job again, right? You know the results it tends to bring you from... Are you going to really on Match.com go out with that guy that has the similar profile to the last one, right? It's like, well, let's throw out the cuteness factor. Let's fight, you know, throw out the fact that this one's employed. Let's really take a look... <laughs> Uh, and you probably think I'm being a little outrageous here, but these are the patterns that really drive our lives. And when we notice it's a pattern, there's where we want to put our microscope. There's where we really want to say, maybe I will just try something differently this time. That's all, in a way, that it takes to begin breaking a pattern. 
That's all that it takes to be able to have more conscious thought around it is when you say to yourself, I'm going to choose differently this time. I'm going to put some different thought behind this. I'm not just, because someone stretches out their hand, I'm not going to automatically take it. Because this job presents itself to me, I'm not going to automatically sign up for the interview. Because, because what will tend to present itself to us, right? We know how science of mind works. What tends to present it to us is the body of our thought. That 98% of the body of our thought that is unconscious. So the typical things, the typical opportunities, the typical people, the typical jobs, the typical ways of being that will tend to present themselves to us are a, a reflection of our repetitive unconscious thought. So if we want different results, we've got to get off that track. So number one, we notice the patterns. Number one, we notice, hey, look what presented itself again. This looks a lot like what presented itself before. The crazy friendship, the, the, the bad girlfriend, the, the questionable job, the, the neighbor that seems clingy, you know, whatever it is, uh, step up and go, oh my gosh, this looks a lot like and then you know it's time to really, really evaluate the situation. Do a new mental equivalent about what friendship is to you. Really puzzle through what, a, what someone that you would like to date is like. Begin to analyze what is it that I really want about a job, not just because it's available, but what makes a good job for me, what makes a good career move for me. We put aside making the same decision that we made last time, and with some thought and some prayerful work, we can have a new mental equivalent of it. We can begin to choose differently. Um, I'm going to do a segue here with the, yeah, you're getting a joke. I, you know, of course you are. And so uh, a, a little bit of a segue here via the joke. Because God was tired of various religions fighting over what the afterlife should be like, God made a unilateral move and put the Buddha and St. Peter in charge of coming up with a solution. God recommended that the gates to the afterlife be fair to all religions and self-policing. No tests, no life review. Each person in line for the afterlife would get to choose. Well, after much thoughtful dialogue, St. Peter and the Buddha came up with this plan. After bodily death, all spirits form a line and people will get to self-select what comes next. One sign will point to rebirth. St. Peter thought that this was a good compromise because he equated it to hell. And the Buddha thought that it would be, you know, a matter of perspective. The second sign simply pointed to enlightenment. St. Peter thought this nicely equated to heaven. And the Buddha also thought that it was probably a matter of perspective. Well, the trouble was, all those new thought people, whenever a new thought person got in line, it would just bog down. They couldn't decide. So the Buddha and St. Peter came up with a third choice. It was simply a sign that pointed to a lecture on a series of the benefits of rebirth and enlightenment. <laughs> So my segue is into enlightenment, and I'll tell you why. This is from Robert Cohen's book, Beyond Lightened, but he says the majority of English books on Buddhism use the term enlightenment 
to translate the term bodhi. The root bud, from which both Buddha and Buddha are derived, actually means to wake up or to recover consciousness. Cohen notes that bodhi is not the result of an illumination, but rather a path of awakening or a coming to understanding over time. So the term enlightenment is event-oriented, whereas the term awakening is a process that takes many, many years. So we're actually talking about enlightenment tonight. When you think of the, the Buddhist ideal of, of enlightenment, it really is simply our awakening. It's using more than that 4 or 5% of our conscious thought. It's being able to direct our, our beliefs and our day ideas into an evolving channel rather than falling asleep, rather than allowing ourselves to just be buffeted by the people and the places and the things that, that come our way and we just react using those same old reactions that we always did, so, so it's not that we have to climb a mountain and seek out a guru to find that, that, that strange enlightenment kind of thing. It's really an evolution of our thinking. It is really us taking one step in front of the other, metaphysically speaking, down a course of cultivating our processes of thinking. It's not some... Uh, a mysterious thing that happens to us one day when we get up, but rather it's some diligence, our part, of cultivating our ability to critically think and more consciously choose what's going on in our lives. Now, how do we do this? I said a little bit about getting, you know, uh, twisting ourselves off of the path of repetitive thinking. But you know what? There's even a more powerful thing that we can do, something that will take our conscious efforts and put us into an unconscious plan. So, so bear with me a minute. Bear with me a minute. Because wouldn't it be nice if we could come up with new, more productive ways of thinking and allow that to be what just self-sufficiently moves us forward, right? Because we don't always want to have to be in that position of, uh, uh, of contemplating every single move and every single thought. So my thought is, why don't we use this power of the entropy of our thinking by settling something new and more productive into it so then our conscious mind can be directed to even more powerful ways of thinking. All right. Well, there are a couple ways that we could do this. And in fact, I want to highlight one of them that's going on uh, right here at the, the Center for Spiritual Li Living here in Lake Oswego. Did you know that they have a whole education ministry? I mean, probably most of you did. But I know that some of you are mostly Wednesday night people too, and it's not something that's emphasized here. The ideal thing about these, and I think this term, if I have it right, they're doing a, a foundations class coming up that'll start in a few weeks. And they also have the self-mastery class that Reverend David's going to teach. The cool thing about these, it fits right into the plan of these brain scientists, is that you learn some new things and you practice them for at least a month or so, and then they settle into that part of us 
that can be unconscious again. So let me, let me use an example. Um, did any of you have a, a, a parent or a family member teach you how to drive? Okay, so maybe about half of you. Remember how hard that was at first? I mean, I think that my stepfather was probably a saint, actually, now that I, now that I kind of think about it. As I'm overcorrecting and, you know, the, the pickup that we were in veers off the road onto the shoulder. And, and so it was a, probably about a six-week uh, program before uh, my stepfather really said, okay, now we're out on the street. We don't have to do the parking lots anymore. We don't have to do the gravel road out to the quarry. We can actually drive into town and it's going to be fine. And it was fine. I got to tell you, not too long ago, I drove home and I don't even know how I got there. Have you ever experienced that? Yeah. To where your mind is working on something else or you had kind of a tired day and suddenly the garage door is opening and you're pulling in and you're like, how did I get here? My thought is we can do that with our spiritual evolution too, but we've got to take that initial six weeks, eight weeks, ten weeks to get the new habits of prayer, to get the new habits of better self-talk, to get the new ways of meditating, to do the things that would evolve us spiritually, we need to allow some time to settle them in. Then it will be automatic. Then we'll be getting up in the morning and it will be as usual as anything to spend a few moments in meditation. It will be as usual as anything to write in our gratitude journal at night before we go to bed because we will have practiced it, because it will be a part of us, because it will be below that level of requiring conscious thought and it will just be part of who we are. So please, can, uh, and some of you are going, wow, he's doing like a sales job tonight, and that's not terribly like him. Uh, but I will tell you, my sales job is, I want us, if a lot of us, a lot of our lives, if it's going to be unconscious, let's have it be productively unconscious. Let's have it unseat some of those awful ways that we've unconsciously, you know, picked up the cigarette or the drink, the unconscious ways that we've overeaten or picked bad life partners, the unconscious ways that we, we have, have and maybe still run our lives, let us begin moving into that unconscious and pre-programmed role, the things that will really allow us to thrive and be successful. I think you can do this through taking classes. I think you can do this through like the 40-day abundance program. I would bet if we went down after this service to the bookstore down there, there are a variety of different books that would set forth a plan of either, of either meditating or, or improving your self-talk, of uh, uh, around uh, maybe assertiveness training for, for people that feel walked upon, uh, maybe some folks that uh, are still struggling with bad habits or, or addiction issues. What I know is that when we commit ourselves to a program of improvement, and it's not just a one or two off, but rather commit ourselves to 8, 10, 12 weeks of really learning a thing, really understanding it. It just gets easy then. And our life evolves. Then we can move our consciousness forward into contemplating even better ways of existence, 
even more useful and more loving ways of being in the world. Well, I'm going to close tonight um, with some homework. And so my homework would be to see if you would be willing to make a commitment to changing one bad mental habit. So my guess is pre-programmed into all of us are a few mental bad habits. It might be self-talk that is uh, not what you'd like it to be. Maybe you're a little self-critical. It might be um, some kind of an outward bad habit like smoking or overeating or, or drinking too much or something like that. Of course, those outward habits have their mental patterns that have created them. And so, again, it might be something that we would like to work on. But I'd like you in your own life to identify a place of improvement in your thinking and commit yourself to a plan of action. Now, if you don't have a plan of action in mind, if none of the ones I've already mentioned, like taking a class or doing a 45-day prosperity program, you know, if none of those work, you know, that's what a licensed practitioner is for. And the other thing that I would do by way of a sales job is to tell you they are amazing people, and this church has some truly powerful ones. So seek out a licensed practitioner, explain what it is you'd like to work on, and she or he will develop that 40, 50, 60-day program with you so that whatever it is you want to change has a really good chance of working. If we're to wake up, if we're really to examine our full potential in this world, if we're to be as loving as we could be, as joyous as we could be, as abundant as we could be, there has to be a plan. If there's no conscious plan, we're back into that 98 or 95% of just doing what we've always done. And we should expect no progress. When we make a change, when we have a plan, when we stick to it for a few months, the world changes. You know why? Because <laughs> we've changed. Suddenly the world is brighter. Suddenly our choices get better. Suddenly it seems as though the days are sunnier. It's because we're sunnier. It's because we're more loving. It's because we have made the changes first in ourselves, in our own consciousness. All right, you've got your homework. I'm going to finish with a, a final quote from Ernest Holmes, the founder of Science of Mind. Here's what he, well, assuming I can find it. Here we are. Here's what he had to say with this idea of awakening. This is from the Science of Mind textbook. Uh, Ernest says, Awakening is a process of spiritual evolution, a little here and a little there, until the whole universe is opened up and we see that life is neither separate from God nor different from our good. Life is God, and good is the only power that there is or can be. To awaken oneself is to be healed, to be made prosperous, to be happy and satisfied, to be made every whit whole, to be complete as we are intended to be. God sees and knows only perfection and completion, only happiness and satisfaction. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence on this, this 
plane of existence, and, and what I know about it is that it is God. I call it God. It has all the love, all the joy, all the peace, all the happiness, all the abundance. All the good is wrapped up in this one thing called God. It includes me. It includes my consciousness. My consciousness is part of that greater consciousness of God itself. And I inherit all of those good qualities into my life. God's love is mine. God's joy is mine. As I open my heart and as I awaken my mind, the riches of the universe are bequeathed to me. And as it is true for me, what I know is it's true for each, each person in this room and beyond. Each person here has that capability of greater consciousness, of, of waking up into our brilliance. And so I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for the knowledge of it, grateful for the acceptance of the people in this room to, to move up, to begin using more of our conscious thought towards repatterning our lives into something beautiful and wonderful. And so in gratitude, I release this prayer into the activity, into that action of the law itself, that, that law that God that always says yes. I let it be. And together we say... And so it is. Thank you so much for being here tonight. So glad you were here. Blessings to everyone. Thank you. Thank you.